Well, good morning again, everyone. Glad that you're here, whether you're watching online or here in person. For those online, glad you're here worshiping with us. Everyone, take your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. So we continue to make our way through throughout the book. I was just talking to Brian Shoup uh, this morning before church, and we were talking about how I could spend actually probably years preaching from Ezekiel. So trying to cover it in 11 weeks is uh, it's a challenge. But I hope you're delving in more during the week. We're giving you the scripture passages to read to, to kind of keep up. Uh, there are, what, 48 chapters in the book of Ezekiel, and we've made it to, to, to chapter 34. And so we'll read it together in just a moment. The shepherd was out by a road with his sheep and a sheepdog when suddenly this brand new Porsche pulls up. Young man jumps out. He's in an Armani suit and sorority shoes, got his Rolex watch. Goes up to the shepherd and says to the shepherd, hey, if I can tell you how many sheep you have, can I take one? And the shepherd looks out at all his sheep and says, well, okay. So the young man pulls out his computer, he links it with his cell phone, he, um, he links it to a NASA satellite, gets some satellite imagery, downloads it to his computer, prints up 50 pages on his mini printer, analyzes all the spreadsheets, takes his time, comes back to the shepherd and says, you have 1,584 sheep. And the shepherd goes, well, yeah, that's remarkable, take your sheep. Guy grabs an animal, throws it in the front seat of his Porsche. To which the shepherd says, hey, if I can tell you what job, what your occupation is, can I have my animal back? And the young man says, well, okay. And the shepherd says to him, I, I think you're an IT consultant. And the young man goes, wow, that's remarkable. How did you, how did you know this? The shepherd goes, well, number one, you showed up where you weren't invited. Number two, you, um, you asked for payment for a job you didn't do. And number three, you know nothing about what I do. And the young man said, wow, that's incredible. To which the shepherd said, hey, now can I have my dog back? Some of you are like, what, what? <laughs> Just watch it again online, you'll get it later. Shepherding is something that we have challenges relating to because none of us are shepherds. We don't really know what we're doing when it comes to shepherding, but the Bible talks a lot about shepherding because it was the predominant occupation. It was a working class and because of God's picture of who he is and who Jesus is. Today, we're going to delve into that just a little bit and uh, kind of see what God calls us to do as shepherds. But let me just remind you, I, I can't review 33 chapters of Ezekiel in a short amount of time, but just remember, Ezekiel is a prophet to a people in exile. 
Uh, the people that he's with are in a refugee camp by a river called the Kabar. They're 700 miles from Jerusalem, a couple hundred miles from the capital of Babylon, who has conquered them. Uh, the nation has been decimated. When they left, there was still a Jerusalem, but not much more. And God is prophesying against the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, saying, because of your idolatry, your sexual immorality, your continued sin, your refusal to repent, your refusal to come back to me, your worship of other gods, I am bringing my judgment down in the form of Babylon on the nation. And I'm all doing it so that you will know that I am the Lord. I'm doing it. This is not Satan attacking you. I mean, really, that's what we always think, right? When bad times come, what's our first response? I'm going to rebuke the enemy. I've always said, look, there are three responses you should have when tough times come. One is this of my own sin. If so, I should repent. Is it the enemy? Then I should rebuke the enemy. I'll stand against him. Is this of the Lord? Then I'm like, oh, God, please help me. And show me what I should, I should be doing. Most of us, we're from charismatic traditions, a lot of us, so we just start rebuking the enemy right away. Got to be the enemy. Couldn't be me. Surely not the Lord. In this case, it was the Lord because of their own disobedience. So after he prophesies against the nation of Israel for a while, he also starts prophesying against the nations that surround them. Um, you know, the, the natural response might be, well, what good is it to follow the Lord then if, if what happens, to, if we're coming on such judgment, I might as well be a pagan nation. They seem to be doing fine. And to which God says to them over and over again, I'm going to judge this nation and this nation and this nation and this nation. And you can read about that um, or listen to that sermon from last week. But then he goes on uh, after what we looked at last week in 28. And for four chapters, he prophesies against the nation of Egypt, which was still a kind of... Uh, dependent factor for the nation of Israel. They're always like, should we, should we team up with Egypt? Maybe we can win. And, and uh, God is saying, look, Egypt is out. Pharaoh is out. I'm judging them as, them as well. And then Ezekiel comes back and he starts saying to them, again, you don't know it, but Jerusalem is already falling. When we left, there was a Jerusalem, but now God, his judgment has come against them. Remember, there's no internet, right? There's no immediate news, so they don't know what's going on in Jerusalem. So Ezekiel is prophesying to them, Jerusalem, Jerusalem is falling and has fallen. We, you just don't know it yet. While he is prophesying this very thing, a messenger comes from Jerusalem you know, it's been however long it took him to get there, a while, 700 miles um, at that time. Anyway, he gets there and he says, Jerusalem has fallen. The walls are down. The temple's destroyed. The, Jerusalem has fallen. Suddenly, Ezekiel, Ezekiel goes from being this wacko prophet to be incredibly popular. You know, it's one thing when you're prophesying and you're just gloom and doom and things are, you're saying things and then it comes and it's backed up. Here's, he was right. So now Ezekiel, he, people are really coming to listen, right? They're like, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. And then 
God tells him in Ezekiel 33, really the worst thing for a preacher or a prophet, he comes to them and says this, as for you, son of man, your countrymen are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. With their mouths, they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, listen to this, indeed to them, you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Yeah, you, you, Ezekiel, you're, you're a popular dude. Look at all the people coming, but don't let this come go to your head because they're not even listening to you. They're, you're just entertainment. You're just like a singer. You know, uh, I could kind of go a certain direction here, but big does not always equate to truth. Numbers is not always the greatest factor. Are you with me? I mean, we, we judge things by numbers. Well, surely this number of people, listen, entertainment is very appealing. What we need is the truth of God's word. Not only do we need the truth of God's word, because Ezekiel was proclaiming the truth of God's word. The problem was they would not hear it. They would not listen. Their hearts would not change. And this is what's crazy. These are the people in exile. These are the people who've been hauled away from their homes. These are the people who are undergoing suffering. And they've seen God at work, and still their hearts are for unjust gain. Their hearts are toward a different direction. Their hearts are not toward God. Don't you think that whole psalm that talks about by the rivers of Babylon, we laid down our heads and we wept. At some point they would have said, let's turn back to God. But instead, their hearts were so hard. And that's why Ezekiel's there. Ezekiel is trying to get them to turn back. I could preach, really, I'm not going to delay on this, but, you know, my heart is broken for the church in America, for America as a whole. I, I, I'm just grieving. I'm going through this process of grieving where, where everything is. And listen, we've got a lot of voices. Voices aren't bad, but what we need is to turn our hearts back to God. We've got to, at some point, let it begin with the house of the Lord. I, I'm really... I don't want to say I'm giving up on outside, but right now I feel a little bit like Ezekiel must have with his heart broken saying, look, I can't be concerned with preaching to Babylon or preaching to Tyre or preaching to this country or that. I need to preach to the house of the Lord and say, let's turn our hearts back to God. I have to preach to myself on a daily basis. Bart, turn your heart to God so that we don't get distracted. Why is this so important? Well, it's important because he's going to talk in just a moment about shepherding. What does it mean to be a shepherd? Now, in some sense, a shepherd, uh, all parents are shepherds. Everybody in this room is in some way an under-shepherd. We'll talk about the shepherd, but some way we're, we've got somebody we're influenced, somebody we're leading, someone we're taking care of. You know, a, a leader has a sphere of influence, a, a field of people or 
that you impact. And you're shepherding that. And how are you doing with shepherding? Parents, we're all shepherds. We have children that we, we, we're a shepherd. And, and you know, things that, things that my generation and slightly earlier than me did, if we looked back at the way they shepherded their kids, we would be appalled and probably haul them to jail. So, for instance, this is an early car seat. You know, there's no seatbelt, there's no nothing. It's just prop the child in a, I don't know what it is. It looks like a box to me and just, just haul them around. You know, uh, we'll feed, we fed them anything back then. Yeah, let's pop that baby with some 7-Up because it's pure pleasure. No teeth when you get older, but uh, yeah. And we would ride in anything. And in any way, you know, I don't even know if you can see, but in the top, can you see the kids' faces in the top of the camper? You know, just put them in the back of a truck, put them in a camper, it'll be fine. I've told the story about how my family used to go cross-country. We had this Buick, and one person was laying on the seat, one person was laying in the back under the window, one person had a blanket on the floor of the car. You know, there are no seatbelt, you just lay it out in tears. Um, you know, in the early days too, um, they didn't have arm bars on rides, so it was mom's arm that kept people from, you know, hey, hey stay right there, we keep you safe. So, and they let us play with fireworks all the time. You know, let's <laughs> just give the baby a sparkler. I mean, what could go wrong, right? You know, my, uh, my grandson has taken swimming lessons, but I don't think they look like this nowadays. <laughs> Let's just haul around the lake. I love it. My dad's swimming lessons was just, hey, come here. Boom. In the, in the pool you go. Back to the car seat issue. Uh, they were a lot more fun. Uh, they had their own steering wheel back then and just took them to the back of the seat. And when mom had to go to work, and I'll have to explain this because you may not be able to see everything in the picture. When mom had to go to work uh, with the chainsaw, they just strapped the baby to the back. Because, uh, again, what could go wrong with a baby, a chainsaw, and a mom? Look, shepherding has changed. Times have changed. And we, we want to be good at what we do. We want to be shepherds. But what's happened in the nation of Israel is they were bad shepherds. And Ezekiel in chapter 34 is going to bring a word against these bad shepherds. So now we're at Ezekiel 34. Uh, Just read along with me in 34. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? I think the obvious answer is, yeah. Isn't that the whole goal of a shepherd to take care of the flock? He's saying they haven't done it. Goes on and says, you eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So 
they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, he's going to say, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lapsed a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and I will no longer be food for them. This is a very challenging passage where he says to the shepherds, well, first of all, who are the shepherds? Who are the shepherds of Israel? And it doesn't specify, but it seems to be talking to one group primarily and two groups secondarily. Primarily, he's talking to the kings and the leaders, those who have been in control, the governmental officials, the kings God has given. Your purpose was to shepherd my flock. Then two other groups he seems to be implying as well is the priesthood, those the religious leaders, those who should have been leading, and thirdly, just people who are wealthy, who've been entrusted with much. They should have been taking care of those less fortunate as well. And he says to them, you have the responsibility of shepherding. You, you have either political power, spiritual power, or economic power. And you should have been taking care of the sheep that I've given you. Now, in Old Testament times specifically, wealth was a blessing from the Lord that was supposedly entrusted to people who were righteous so that they could help others. But he says, instead of helping others, you hoarded it. You didn't take care of my sheep. Now, it's one thing to be a negligent shepherd. To neglect the sheep, it's another thing to abuse the sheep. And he is accusing them not only of neglect, but of abuse. You have, instead of blessing them, you've used them for your own pleasure. You've used them for your own good. You've used them for your own ends. We, as human beings, are called to take care of one another to bless one another in the might of the Lord, to bless one another and, and, and to help one another spiritually to proclaim the word of the Lord. Amen? I mean, that's really what we have to offer is life. We're to help where we can politically, help those who are oppressed. I believe we're to help those economically. When we're blessed, we're to, we're to give. Why have you been given wealth? According, this is New Testament, not old, so that you can give it away. So that you can bless those around you. I was reading a, a statistic by a, a, a research organization that estimates that in 2019, 2019, there were somewhere between 40 and 45 million people enslaved. 40 to 45 million people in slavery around the world. 
economic, political slavery. And by the way, this doesn't count a country like North Korea, where you can say, well, everybody's a slave. I mean, you know, it doesn't count countries like this. This is people owned by other people. It's estimated that 11 million people in India alone are enslaved. We talk a lot about slavery. In the totality of the trans-African slave trade, the most in the history of it was 37 million. I mean, that's the total estimate of people that were enslaved from Africa and the United States and the islands. 45 million people alone, 40 to 45 million, are enslaved probably presently, many of them sex slaves. What I'm saying is, God is not going to turn away from humanity's inhumanity to one another. He's saying it. We should be shepherding one another. And again, it's hard for me to focus at times on the world because I've got to, I want to speak to the house of the Lord and say, okay, we've been given something rich. How are we doing? God's judgment comes, and this is what he says about the future. He says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I'm in verse 11 in chapter 34 and following. It says, as his shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. Goes on and says, I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There, will, there they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. God is saying, you have failed at what I gave you to do. Therefore, I'm going to take over the shepherding responsibilities. I'm going to be in control. I'm going to shepherd the people. I'm going to provide pasture. I'm going to protect. I'm going to gather. I'm going to give the land. Now, for the nation of Israel who was hearing of this at the time, they're probably like, hey, God's going to take over. Here comes God. He's going to, he's going to shepherd us and do this. But there's a prophetic word that they're not going to receive for them personally. Because he goes on in verse 23 and 24 and says this, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give David. Now, here's the problem. David's been dead for 350 years. David's gone. But he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one like David who will shepherd my people. 
Listen, this theme of the Messiah as shepherd is one that becomes very well known in the Old Testament. I didn't print this, I didn't put this on the screen, but in, in you remember Micah where it says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, we know, we read this every Christmas, right? But you, Beth, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. No doubt there's a messianic prophecy coming from this. And he goes on and says, Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. These passages from Ezekiel and Micah and Isaiah, they speak of this coming shepherd, the Messiah, who's going to, in their eyes, they think it'll be a political deal, but they don't, they don't really know what they're asking. But God is saying, I'm going to shepherd my people, and I'm going to be the one who rules and takes care of the sheep. So in John 10, when Jesus stands up and says, I am the good shepherd, they would have stood back and said, wait a minute. You know, there are people who say Jesus never really claimed to be the Messiah. Oh, yes, he did. Because they knew exactly what this reference meant. They knew that God had promised a good shepherd. They knew that God had promised one who was like David. They knew one was coming who would shepherd the people. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd... He is making the claim, I'm the one Ezekiel spoke of. I'm the one that Micah spoke of. I'm the one that the prophet spoke of. I am here now. I will shepherd my people to the ends of the earth. I will be their peace. So Ezekiel is condemning the people who should have shepherded and didn't. He pronounces judgment on them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then he says... God will provide. He is going to be, there's going to be one like David. David is going to come. Bethlehem, the birthplace of David, Micah's prophecy. One is going to come out of Bethlehem who will shepherd the people forever and be their peace. So here's my thought this morning. Just real quickly, let's move forward. So obviously Ezekiel condemns the bad shepherds. God brings judgment on them. God promises a good shepherd. Jesus is that good shepherd. What, what does a shepherd, a good shepherd, what are we supposed to be doing? Let's say we are God's under shepherds. That's my premise this morning in this. God is the good shepherd, Jesus. We are under shepherds. We're given responsibility. What, don't you want to stand before God and he says, well done, good and faithful under shepherd? good and faithful servant? Or would you rather be like the ones in Ezekiel? You abused the people. You've neglected the people. You didn't look out after them. You did a... Lord, help us. I think Jesus in John 10 gives us, and I'm going to go through these quick, so I'll just write them down if you can, or you're going to look at this later. He gives us six things a good shepherd does, a leader does. And we're, my premise, again, is we're all leaders, 
We're all shepherds in some sense. These are things we should be doing that Christ did for us. He gives us the example. Does that make sense? Hello? You with me? Online, you with me? Somebody out there say amen. All right. The, the leader does not force. Does not force. He doesn't demand. Here's what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. Jesus does not force his way into your life. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, what does he do? He opens the door. I will come in and I'll be with him. In other words... Very seldom does a person just go and open the door and say, yell for Jesus, right? I, I want to say, the first action is Jesus' action, but he knocks. He doesn't force his way in. He doesn't push the door down. He doesn't climb over the wall. He knocks at the door. We open the door. He comes in and is with us. Leaders do not force. Leaders do not demand. This is contrary to human leadership. The most powerful, the one with the biggest guns, the one with the most might, those are who we see as leaders. But God is saying, no, no, no. The real leader, the shepherd, the shepherd doesn't force. That's, that's the robber who forces his way in. I'm going to try not to comment too long on all of these six points, because, but I think there is a truth here that at times we've accepted the robber, which, by the way, in this telling you'll see in a minute, is the enemy, the thief, the robber, the devil. We've accepted his form of leadership as being the common form of leadership. We've accepted what he says is leader because no one's going to tell the victor if he told the truth. Right? That's quoting Adolf Hitler. Um, this morning. That, that's, that's the way we look at things. We win. The winner wins. And he gets to set the rules. Jesus is saying the leader does not force. The leader instead, the leader leads. Well, that seems a little obvious, doesn't it? That the leader leads. But in verses 3 and 4, he goes on, the watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. The leader, the leader leads. <clears throat> there have been lots of stories. You've probably heard this. Shepherds don't get behind the sheep and drive them. Good shepherds, they walk in front, and the sheep follow them. Follow them. I, I heard... Um, some people in leadership say one time, he who thinks he's leading but no one's following is only taking a walk. <laughs> and so it's not really leading. You've got to have somebody following, but at the same time, again, he doesn't force his way in, but he leads. I have my own prejudices and views and opinions on certain things. I mean, it's, it's inevitable. And the older I get, the more my opinions seem really right to me. 
<laughs> you know, they just seem, yeah, that's right. I think I believe it. A leader leads. Parents, you lead. And you don't lead by just your words. You lead by what you do. In other words, the shepherd doesn't just stand at the gate and tell the sheep what to do. Blah, 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 blah. You know, bossing sheep is not the same as leading sheep. Even teaching sheep is not the same as leading sheep. Leading sheep is leading sheep. In other words, going out in front, leading out. I think it's really important. For instance, I knew that whenever the community of believers was gathering together, my family was going to be there. Because my dad, that's what he did. My dad and mom, whenever the community of faith gathered together, we were going. Now, there wasn't really an option. And it wasn't that my dad sat home and said, hey, I want you all to go. He was there. And he let out. And I, I, I think the same thing applies. Now, listen, I'm a church guy through and through, right? I mean, I've given my life to the church. Here's one of the reasons I've given my life to the church. I, I know almost no people, and I'm going to make this a general, and I say almost no people. I, almost, I know almost no people who have stayed spiritually on fire apart from the connection of the local body of believers. I mean, I know people all the time who say, you know, you really don't need church to be a Christian. Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's totally accurate. You don't need, you can go, you'll probably go to heaven. But I don't know anybody, I really don't know hardly anybody who stayed spiritually vital apart from their connection to the local body, a local group who encourages them. That's why Paul says, don't, don't neglect the giving up of your meeting together. Why? Because it encourages you. It, it spurs you on to love and good deeds. There are things that happen in church that can happen nowhere else. I'm a little passionate about this. And I don't apologize for it. Because in my years of experience, again, I do believe you can go to heaven without going to church. But I don't believe you come into the body of Christ without being a part of the body of Christ. I think you've got, you got to be connected in somehow. It blesses you, it blesses the church. And I'm saying this, parents, if we want our children to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, then we lead out. One of the ways I think we lead out is by being a part of a church. Now, whatever your definition of church, it may vary a little bit. It doesn't have to be a building like this with green chairs, but it does have to be a community of faith in some way. That was a sidetrack, but lead. Leaders lead. The leader also, he knows those he leads. He knows those he leads. John 10, 5. I'm just going through John 10 right here. But they, he already said they know his voice, right? In verses 3 and 4, he talked about the familiarity of the voice. He knows them by name. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. There is familiarity that we have. We should know those we lead. You know, I, I love the size of fullness. We're not a huge congregation. I love it because I, I think I know most people that are a part of fullness. I don't know everybody really well, obviously, but I, I know pretty much everybody's name 
especially here this morning. Uh, it's, it's a size I can get my hands around because uh, we still got a lot of people online. But the, the, the leader knows those he leads. And the, those that are following, they also know the leader. Again, I could comment on, there's a sermon in every one of these, but they're good points, right? Thanks, Dottie. <laughs> the leader should be leading somewhere, right? The leader should be leading somewhere. There's got to be a destination. Where are we headed? Where are we going? What are we going to do? Well, in this case, it said the leader leads to the, leads to the father. I tell you the truth, verses 6 through 8. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and out, go out and find pasture. Where is Jesus leading these sheep? And again, some of these analogies are from Ezekiel, right? The pasture, I'm leading them in. They're going to find pasture. They're from Psalm 23. They are, he is leading them to the Father, He's leading them to this destination. Just recently, I took a trip with my son, Adam, and um, I was driving him back to Wyoming. You know, it, it is a long, stinking way to Wyoming from here. I mean, it's, it's a haul. And there are like 20 different ways we could have gone. I mean, we could have gone this way, or that we could have gone through Texas, we could have gone through southern routes, middle routes, northern routes. We decided we'd go the northern route because we said, well, let's see something else on our way. So we'd never seen Mount Rushmore. So we said, well, let's go through South Dakota. I've never been to South Dakota. Let's click off some more states on our list. All of that to say, we didn't just jump in the car and start driving. You know what I mean? We didn't just jump in the car and say, hey, let's go. I mean, you've got to have a destination in mind. Where are you leading your children? What is your goal? For instance, parents in parenting. What is your goal? Well, I want to raise children who are uh, well-adjusted, contributing adults to society. I want to say to you, wake up. There's so much more for them. What good is it if they're contributing an adult to society who stays out of jail gets married, makes more babies, if they're not with the Father. If they're not passionately in love with God. What is our destination for our children? I, I have to tell you, there are times that I've failed at this, where I've, I've wanted for my children something where they're just really positively contributing to society. But I want to say, listen, there's so much more. They need to be led to the Father. They need to have an intimate relationship with the Father. And listen, here's one thing. One reason people can't relate to God as Father is because they've had terrible fathers. And when they think of God the Father, the first thing they think of is this terrible father they've had. And so they think of God something like that bad father they've had. We need godly fathers who are modeling and leading their children to an intimate relationship with Father God. I know, I've got 10 sermons here, but this is Jesus. The leader provides and protects. Provides and protects. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, we're back to the thief again 
And we all recognize this passage as talking about the devil, right? The thief comes only to do what? Steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. That's his job description. If he could bullet point his resume, uh, he's the father of lies that kind of describes him with the purpose of steal, killing, and destroying. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He provides. He provides all. It says in Peter, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. God provides. Jesus provides. That's what Ezekiel was talking about in Ezekiel 34 when he talked about God saying, I'm going to bring them in and out and find pasture. I'm going to provide this grazing land and do this and do that. He's saying, I am going to be the one who provides what they need. He not only provides, but he protects. In John 10, going on, 9 through 13, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. He puts himself in harm's way. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares not for the sheep. Got a line that got lost in there. The hireling doesn't care for the sheep. When, when the tough, when the going gets tough, you know what the hireling does? He's, he's gone. But the shepherd says, I'm stepping in between. Did y'all see the story of this little boy last week up in Canada, I think it was, whose sister got attacked by a dog? He's like five or six. And his little sister was three, and this dog was coming toward his sister to attack him. And this little six-year-old boy stepped between his sister and the dog. And the dog just ripped his face. He got like 100 stitches in his face. And I was going to show you the picture, but it's pretty gruesome. I get a little nauseous every time I see the picture of this little boy. Every time I see this story, I get just choked up. I get choked up because, to me... And they asked him, why did you do that? And he said, it's my job to protect my sister. My job to protect my sister. That is not a hireling mentality. That's a family. That's what the father does. That's what the mother does. We lay down our life for our children. But the, the shepherd lays down his life for sheep. Now, obviously, there's a reference here where Jesus is going to lay down his life. But it's the calling of our lives as well. He says over and over again, the, the pagan leadership, they lord over their authority. They lord it over. They demand. They take. They, they basically say, your job as a sheep is to lay down your life for me. But the good shepherd says, no, my job, my responsibility is to lay it down. Listen, I got to tell you, there have been times I've been a total failure at this. I don't want to, like, prop me up and say, hey, 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 I've done such a great job. There are times my children wanted to do stuff, and I didn't want to get up and do it. You know, they wanted to be with me. I'm ashamed to even admit it. But over 100 years of parenting, there have been days where I have thought, I did not want to get up. This is really hard. Olivia, bring me a drink. 
rather than me get up and go do something with you. Right? Because that's the way our sinful mind thinks. Don't bother me. Don't get in my way. Just serenity now kind of thing. Peace. The leader provides and protects. Because the leader really understands what it means to be in authority. But understands authority, I want to say this. A leader understands what it means to be under authority as well as to be in authority. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep. Can you imagine? This is, I don't have time to comment on this, but can you imagine the, the disciples, the Jews at this point saying, he's got other sheep? Where are these other sheep? Hey, God, praise him. We're the other sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. goes on and says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, not only, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus is saying, I have the authority to lay down my life. I have the authority to take it up. But the reason I have the authority is because I've been given the authority. The command comes from my father God. I have authority because I've been given authority. Listen, my, my encouragement as leaders or potential leaders or parents-to-be or whatever spiritual component you may think yourself as a pastor or leader is this. Learn to be under authority. Learn to work under authority. Now, I know first in our mindset many times is this. Well, what if the authority is bad? Learn to be under authority. I've learned, I learned more in bad situations than I did in good. I learned a lot in good situations, and I've been blessed throughout my life. But learn to be under authority. If you want to read a great book on this, go read Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards, which talks about um, Saul, David, Absalom. A great book on what it means to be under authority. Great analogy, metaphor, uh, book that helps with that. But here's the thing. If you understand what it means to be under authority, then when you get an authority, you'll, you'll do better. If you show me a person who is really bad under authority, I'll show you a person who's going to be really bad when they get in authority. You may say, well, that's a generalization. Yeah, two of them this morning. One, go to church. Two, learn how to be under authority. Because it'll make a difference when you get in authority. People who abuse their authority when they're in authority were never very, probably very good when they were under authority. You need to learn what it means. Peter says this to all of us. He's speaking to Christians, really. Spiritual leaders, but Christians, he said, be shepherd of God's flock that is under your care, <clears throat> serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Here's the whole point this morning. <clears throat> Jesus is the good shepherd. 
God condemns those that should be good shepherds, leaders, spiritual authorities, those with resources for not handling or stewarding what God has given them, mainly people, sheep. But let's go with people. Not handling people well, not taking care of them. Christ comes as the good shepherd, models what it means to be the perfect shepherd, and then speaks to us as under-shepherds to say, follow my model. Follow my model. Don't force your way in. Lead with love. Care for the sheep. Let them know your voice. Take them to the Father. Protect and provide for them. Handle authority well. My prayer for us as we go forward is really multiplicited here. One, I want us to be good shepherds. Two, I'm asking you to pray for those shepherds that shepherd you in every format, in our church, as well as our political leaders, that God would give us good shepherds. Lord, we thank you. We pray that you would guide us, direct us, help us be the shepherds that you've called for us to be. Lord, I, I ask forgiveness where we've done badly, that instead of modeling good shepherd behavior, we've modeled evil shepherd behavior, but thought we were doing okay. So I pray that, Spirit of God, you give us wisdom, give us grace, help us to know the path that you have for us. Lord, we pray for our responsibility as shepherds. We pray for those that are in responsibility over us. Let the Spirit of God move in their lives. Lord, bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just hang on a second. Kathy is going to come and share with you about a couple opportunities, about our offering. Jesse's going to lead us in a, a, a time of worship where Caleb is, and we'll bring our offering to the front, but we'll worship a minute before we leave. Kathy? Is that on? Amen. There we there go. go. Hallelujah. <laughs> he is the good shepherd. Amen. That was such a great word. And it is our prayer that we will each shepherd the people that God has put in our care and that we will follow that model that Jesus has set for us. Amen. Yes, so we're going to transition to a time of giving. So if you're here with us today, if you want to go ahead and get your offering ready, we'll be bringing that up in this next closing song. And if you're joining us online, there are many different ways that you can give, and it's all there on the screen for you. And I also just wanted to mention the fact that maybe you've noticed that the email that comes out every week with prayer requests is quite sparse. Um, that would be because people aren't filling out the white card. And so I just want to draw your attention to the white card today. If you're here, it's in the seat back in front of you. And we find out so many awesome things that are going on in the lives of the fullness people, especially over these last four months. We've heard of people getting married, people having a baby, expecting a baby, people getting a new job, buying their first house, or even some other challenging things going on. But the way Pastor Bart and I know most of these things is through social media. And a lot of times you think if it's you've posted it out there for everyone to see that everyone knows. But at fullness, the way we put things 
things out in the email is if we get it on the white card. And so we, I know the rest of the fullness people would love to know the things going on in your life, the things that you're praising God for, and those prayer needs that you have. So I hope that you will take advantage of the white card and fill that out on